From Washington, D.C., the swamp itself, this is The Week's Worst with Allen and Veda. I'm Dr. Stephen J. Allen, Vice President and Chief Investigative Officer of the Capitol Research Center. And I'm Matthew Vadum, Senior Vice President at the Capitol Research Center and Editor-in-Chief of BombThrowers.com. And I'm Jake Klein, Media Producer at the Capitol Research Center, and I'll be moderating this podcast in which we dig through the news for stories that we think are the most outrageous, the most ridiculous, the worst. Although I think we have a story this week that we'll all be relatively happy about. Uh, This past Tuesday, June 20th, Republican Karen Handel defeated Democrat John Ossoff in a special election to represent the 6th Congressional District in Georgia in the House of Representatives. The special election was made necessary by former Representative Tom Price's move to become Secretary of Health and Human Services. It was a very closely watched election, with Ossoff polling ahead at times in what was once a safely Republican district. Over $50 million was spent on this election, making it the most costly House race in history. Uh, But in the end, Karen Handel won by uh, 3.8%, 51.9% to 48.1%. So first of all, let's, let's get the basics down. Who are our contenders here? Who's John Ossoff? John Ossoff is the left wing's holy messiah. They developed him, they built him up to be basically some kind of a superhero who was going to come in and crush the evil Republican Karen Handel, who uh, is associated with President Trump, uh, obviously, as a Republican. And they they just built this guy up who, to me, he strikes me as a flake. Uh, He's 30 years old. I was 30 years old once, too, a long time ago. That's not the problem. The problem is he, he doesn't have a clear sort of uh, work background. He's supposedly a documentary filmmaker. No offense intended to documentary filmmakers. There, None taken. <laughs> there, there, there are at least two of us in this room, um, maybe even three. And uh, this guy, you know, was such was such a lightweight. Um, but the for some reason the left really got into him. He was taken as a symbol of the uh, the resistance uh, against Trumpism, and uh, people from Hollywood uh, projected all these heroic qualities onto him, and I'm not saying he's a bad person. He seems okay uh, as an individual, but they they just they made such a big deal out of this candidacy, and they had so much writing on it, and they spent so much money. They raised uh, he raised something like twenty two and a half million dollars on his own. Um, and, uh, and then super which, PACs were active in the area. Too. Super act, super PACs were also active, uh, and they they helped Karen handle. But by far, John Ossoff, uh, it, this was possibly this was supposedly the most expensive um, House of Representatives uh, uh, contest in American history. Yeah, he his his campaign spent four or five times what her campaign spent. Now, when you throw in the outside money... I thought it was more like seven to one, but yeah. When you throw in the outside money, then uh, he still had an $8 million advantage uh, over her. So it's interesting how the media report it because they report the total number, but they don't show the... I haven't seen one report uh, that to mention the total number and then broke it down and showed the advantage that the Democrats had. And they raised a lot of money from San Francisco and Silicon Valley, uh, those areas, uh, big liberal areas, yeah. uh, and um, you know, so it was out-of-state money largely that was financing Ossoff. 
Handel got some out-of-state money, but I, I think not nearly as much as, as Ossoff did. You know, he, well, uh, this well, guy, so he was, this... Viewed, he was viewed as an interloper by many, and he didn't live in the actual district he was running in, which uh, it doesn't, isn't always a good tactic to accuse somebody of in a race, but well, here it actually had, had uh, some traction. Well, well, of course, it hits when somebody says something like, uh, who are you going to vote for, a uh, congressional candidate? And the guy says, I can't vote in my own race. But but the background of this guy is it's typical, uh, which is that the left is very good at uh, you know finding people, raising them up, giving them the right connections that they need to be successful uh, in politics or even in business. And uh, and that that's what we have here. This is a guy who, you know, interned for John Lewis, the civil rights icon who's become unfortunately a very uh, harshly partisan Democrat in recent years, uh, and uh, he interned for him, and then he ends up. The next thing you know, he's uh, this this guy Ossoff is at uh, Georgetown University, uh, graduates uh, in in two thousand nine, uh, gets a, a bachelor's degree in the School of Foreign Service. Uh, then he ends up at the London School of Economics, where he gets a master's degree in two thousand thirteen, and then he's a uh, you know he becomes this documentary filmmaker, uh, works for uh, BBC Three, or at least his company does, and uh, and so now he's ready to to run for Congress as this sort of golden boy uh, who has all the right credentials. And we've seen this; you saw this with Barack Obama. You see this with one person after another, uh, and uh, it's just a shame that. We don't do uh, on the conservative libertarian side. Don't do as good a job of finding people and giving them credentials. Absolutely, and, and there's nothing wrong with having credentials. I hope, but but policy wise, what what did we avoid here? What did this guy stand for? What what sort of wing of the Democratic Party would you describe him as uh, being in? Well, he started off as a you know the the the, the kind of candidate who would run by uh, standing you know who would promise to stand up to Trump. Uh, and that's what you see in Democratic primaries. Uh, those of us who live in the in Washington D.C. or in Virginia, we've seen seen recently well, the um, yeah. the commercials in the governor's race in the Democratic primary, and it was one candidate uh, trying to do uh, one up the other one over who was going to be uh, more uh, you know of a of a block for he, Donald Trump. He came across to me as kind of a Bernie Sanders acolyte, uh, uh, but I, as I understand it, throughout the campaign, he tried to do some ideological cross-dressing as a conservative, <laughs> and he started to talk suddenly to talk about the importance of balanced budget. So John Ossoff painted himself as a fiscal conservative, and uh, apparently it didn't work. The voters of Georgia, not enough of them were actually convinced uh, by his pitch. It's a tremendous advantage to a political party to be able to run a candidate who's a blank slate. Because then you can uh, completely tailor yourself to what you think the people are thinking in the district at that particular time. And you have no record to contradict that. You know, I, I think back to Barack Obama, who introduced himself to the country in 2004 with the speech at the Democratic Convention uh, as this person who was a unifier, who didn't believe in, you know, red states and blue states, but believed only in the United States of America totally uh, alien to his uh, to his background and the way that he would govern as president, and yet he was able to sell himself that way because he had nothing uh, substantial in his background to contradict it. This guy hadn't even held office at all uh, and so and, and hadn't taken a stand on anything. I think they, they bragged that one of his documentaries exposed ISIS in some way, but uh, you know beyond that, nobody knew anything about his view, so he could uh, he could claim uh, in, early in the primaries. That uh, he was uh, that he was this guy who was going to be the one person standing up to Donald Trump, and then when that was not working, as the race got down to the end, uh, he could switch and be Mister Fiscal Conservative, uh, who's going to balance the budget. So basically, John Ossoff was a mound of clay, 
who was uh, shaped into something by image consultants and uh, sold on that sold to the public on that basis. And of course, Karen Handel, on the other hand, has you know been around forever. Uh, she was Secretary of State in Georgia. She, she ran was, unsuccessfully for governor. Ran almost won uh, in the Republican primary, which was the important race that year in 2010. It lost by 2,500 votes, I think, statewide. Wow. And uh, and she had been the assistant to the governor and had done also, you know, been involved in all sorts of controversies over the years. She was uh, the person at the Komen Foundation. Uh, remember the the Breast Cancer Foundation, and they had a controversy because they were incredibly uh, they were funding Planned Parenthood, and she uh, tried to uh, put a halt to that, and this made her a pariah in liberal land, and that's why Planned Parenthood was so deeply invested. One of the reasons they were so deeply invested in this in this particular race. All right, so Planned Parenthood savagely attacked her at the time, and she was forced out of the uh, Komen Foundation. Uh, the the Susan G. Komen Breast Cancer Foundation, that is, where Handel worked as a, as, um, as a vice president for policy. And she didn't take a severance package when she left uh, the Komen Foundation because she wanted to be able to tell her story freely. And uh, so this is, uh, if nothing else, uh, an indication of her personal integrity. And uh, she wrote a book uh, about her experiences and she called it planned bullyhood, <laughs> and uh, I've read excerpts of it, and it's it's. Uh, I was impressed. Uh, uh, this is a woman with cojones, for lack of a better expression, and um, uh, Planned Parenthood wanted def- to defeat her really bad, and spent, I believe, somewhere around seven hundred thousand against her in the Georgia uh, special election race. They gave the money that is to to the John Ossoff. Uh, campaign. So Karen Handel earned the enmity of um, the the um, abortion lobby, uh, and and was fine with that. This is a woman who uh, who remains courageous under fire, and she could be a rising star. Uh, when she takes her seat in the House of Representatives in the next few days. Interestingly, she was inter- in, uh, endorsed in her various previous races uh, by Sarah Palin, uh, who has continued to do, and I, I've had a lot of discussions with my lefty friends about this, uh, they don't uh, realize that Palin is very quietly uh, putting her people in positions uh, across the country. Nikki Haley would not have gotten elected governor and therefore would not be UN ambassador without Sarah Palin. Uh, and Susana Martinez, Martinez as governor of New Mexico. And then, of course, uh, uh, my view is that her endorsement of Donald Trump was critical to him winning the Republican nomination. So that's sort of a side issue, but it is interesting. And of course, the connection with Palin only drove the left uh, baddier uh, that somebody uh, associated with Sarah Palin might win this congressional seat. So that was mostly focused on one issue, though, the uh, abortion issue. Uh, broadly, how is her policy stances? Where did she fit in in the Republican Party? Um, is she Because especially we have all these div- divisions now. Is she more establishment? Is she more libertarian? Is she more uh, Trumpy? Is she more uh, cruisy uh, conservative, if I can create that phrase? Uh, how would you describe her? 
Are, like, we, are we happy with I like cruisy our... as an adjective. That's I, a good one. I do, one. too. <laughs> and so we can, can I use it about Tom Cruise movies? Ooh, that was so cruisy. It, it can be flexible. All right. <laughs> yeah, she's actually, you know, sort of, sort of a, a, you might say, a mainstream Republican for the state of Georgia, which would be a, a conservative by national standards. Uh, she was attacked uh, in her governor's race that she barely lost. Uh, she was attacked for being too pro-gay, believe it or not. And uh, so, uh, you know. Imagine uh, that. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, she, I think, would be uh, one of the things I often say is that a rhino is not someone who is a moderate. A rhino is someone in the Republican Party who won't fight, who accepts the premises of the other side. And uh, so I think she would fit in the category, perhaps, again, by Georgia standards of being a moderate uh, and uh, but but not a rhino. Uh, certainly when somebody has this kind of thing happened to them when you have the entire world come down hard on you in terms of the Silicon Valley people, the Hollywood people, uh, and so on. You, 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 you uh, learn your lesson. You know you, you have to stand up hard to them and, uh, and be, very, uh, uh, be, a, be, a, be a pillar of strength, uh, and that's how you win. In, I, I think, Steve, yeah, I think you're right that, that uh, nationally conservative, uh, conservatives would view Karen Handel as one of their own. Broadly speaking, she is. Mm-hmm. And that was not a pun with the word broadly. Right. And and this is the district, remember, that uh, Newt Gingrich was the congressman uh, previously. Uh, and uh, 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 although, you know, people say, well, the Republicans held the district for 40 years. It's actually 25 or so because they the district was drastically redrawn by the, the Democrat-controlled state legislature uh, back in 1990. To, uh, in 1991 to, to nail uh, Newt Gingrich, and they almost uh, were successful. He barely won re-election the next time around because pre- his district the, was the so pre- different. The previous uh, Republican was in the 1870s or 1880s and was a black uh, freedman whose claim to fame was during the Civil War he commandeered a Confederate ship and, uh, f- and, uh, and, and piloted it to the, uh, the Union <laughs> um, Navy and uh, became a big war hero. So this is this interestingly is, enough. That's just a nice little digression. This is the district that uh, they, they used to. The late Louis Grizzard, the humorist, uh, uh, joked about that, that, that this area was filled with uh, 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 Yankees driving around Dunwoody and their Volvos. Uh, and so uh, you have uh, in in this section of Georgia, very well educated. It's one of the most well educated congressional districts in the country. I think the rate of uh, college uh, graduation is uh, around 60%, uh, which is almost double the, the national rate of college graduation uh, for, for the people who live there. So uh, Not that there's anything wrong with that. Remember, our president loves the poorly educated. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. And, uh, and of course, uh, you know, importantly, even though this is in Georgia and, and you would expect uh, Donald Trump to have done well there, he only carried the district by one point. Uh, and that was why Democrats thought they had a really good shot of the of the special elections this year. Um, uh, but otherwise, it was an R plus eight district, wasn't it? Yeah. It, to use you, to use the political lingo. Yeah. And uh, so so th- th- this was number one on the Democrats target list uh, of the special elections early this year to replace uh, a congressman who had been appointed uh, by President Trump to various positions, and therefore you have to have a special election if it's a House seat, uh, and uh, and that's why this was this was their top target, and that's why uh, the irony is that they they actually had a closer race the same day in South Carolina, uh, where they had to fill another seat, uh, but 
if and, and if they put some of that money over there, who knows? They I, might have won. I don't that. think their Democratic candidate was quite the inspirational figure. I don't <laughs> think he, he was as messianic as John Ossoff. Well, one of the reasons the race was so close in South Carolina was because nobody paid attention to it. So very few people showed up to vote. So mainly the Democrats showed up to vote, and that's why they came close. So it's one of those things where, uh, you know, do you do you put a lot of attention if you're the Democrats? Do you put a lot of attention in the race? Uh, drawing uh, people into it, uh, involvement from all over the country, uh, knowing that that's going to fire people up locally. I mean, the turnout in the Georgia district was higher than it was in the in the uh, previous, uh, um, I guess, in the 2014 uh, election. And uh, and of course, what happened here was that Ossoff got 49 percent, I believe, in the first round of the primary. He came very close to winning it without a runoff. If you get 50 percent, you automatically go in. He came very close. And then he got fewer votes as a percentage this time around. He got more votes. But because people were so fired up and the turnout went up, uh, that caused him to get a lower percentage. He actually went backwards uh, and Handel went from 20 percent. I believe in the first primary to obviously winning this time around, uh, and that's uh, you know <laughs> overcoming a tremendous disadvantage. Uh, I think 538 and a lot of the prognosticators had given the Democrats an edge just because Ossoff had so little that he needed to pick up to get a majority in the runoff, and he didn't do it. Can, I, I while I was uh, babbling there, I, I made one mistake. I just want to correct it. The uh, Friedman uh, Republican was Robert Smalls, and it was in South Carolina. It was in the South Carolina district, not the Georgia district. Ah. Robert Smalls, 1875. First, uh, that was the previous Republican to represent that district. All right, so, you know, Democrats' number one target is one thing. Um, the most expensive house race in history is quite another so by by big margin it's like yeah. i think the previous record was 30 million so this beat that by, by more Over than 20, 20 million, million. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so but what was it about this race i mean why this one Oh, this was because they kept selling it. And that's why, you know, I see this as the week's worst, because if you look at the news coverage, it was all about how this was going to be the big referendum on Donald Trump. Uh, and this was going to show that the Democrats could come back and they could take the House. Right. The, Dem the, the Democrats na tried to nationalize the election and it worked to an extent. But uh, the people of uh, in that district in Georgia weren't buying it. Uh, they viewed this as a... Uh, uh, I'm sure some of them viewed it as a referendum on Trump, but a lot of them didn't. They just wanted to uh, the status quo. They had a Republican as congressman before. They wanted to keep the Republicans uh, representing the seat. Yeah, and and if you look at the special, the four special elections, there was also one uh, for the Democrats, where they in California, where there was a Democrat district where the congressman got appointed uh, attorney general of California. Yeah, so you're referring election. to Xavier Becerra. Right, and and there was no Republican uh, seriously in that race. I think one of the 20 candidates was a Republican. Uh, previously, the congressman had been uh, uh, unopposed for re-election in the, in the last regular election. So so uh, putting that aside, you have the, so you have the four where there were Republican uh, incumbents. And uh, there was a dramatic drop from what the previous Republican incumbents had gotten but it, it was around uh, 17, 18 points on, on average, or at least the median. And that's about what you get when you go from uh, an incumbent who has the advantage of incumbency, who's gotten elected before, his name's known, got all the money. Uh, and, uh, and then you switch in a 
special election, you typically lose about 15, 20 points for, for the party that, uh, that loses the incumbent. And, uh, and that's what happened in these four races. It was around, it was between 15 and 20 points for the most part. So, so I think that, you know, it doesn't really tell you much about what's going to happen in, uh, in, in the, in the next, uh, general elections. So Democrats wanted to position it as a referendum on Trump. Was it? I, I think that, you know, they're, they're, people always have a, a mixture of motives. I think it became that as you had all this money coming in from outside. I think it became a referendum on, you know, do you want Georgia to be the Georgia congressional seat to be bought by people from uh, from Silicon Valley and Hollywood? Uh, I, I, there were a lot of factors uh, the, there was more time to to sort of show um, the uh, Democratic candidate to, to be. Uh, someone without a record, uh, someone who you couldn't necessarily trust, just but not anything necessarily that he's uh, a, a, a dishonest person, but just that he didn't have a record that would show that he would stand up and take a position and stick to it, uh, and uh, that therefore his promises were, you know, should be discounted based on that. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I mean, on election night uh, at uh, the Handel Victory uh, Party when she gave her speech, um, they the crowd burst into Trump, Trump, Trump. Uh, so clearly the president uh, inspires people uh, to get out and vote uh, when they see that there's a threat to uh, to him being able to achieve his agenda and the Trump people feel motivated. They didn't the first time around because you had all these different Republican candidates and they were splitting the message and they were saying bad things about each other. And so a lot of people stayed home. And that's why uh, the Democrats almost won the, the race outright the first time around in the in the first primary. But yeah, you're always going to have a, a, a situation where, particularly early in a president's term um, or after the president has done something controversial, uh, that you had this referendum effect. Uh, and people do vote locally, but they also vote nationally. Uh, you know, that this idea that all politics is local uh, is just uh, is I, nonsense. I never understood why everybody thought that was such a great phrase. It, well, Tip O'Neill said that all politics... Well, Tip O'Neill, it was to his advantage if people felt that way because, you know, he was speaker because partly because he had Southern Democrats who didn't necessarily agree with him on much of anything who were holding those seats for the Democratic Party. And then those seats, you know, and that translated into votes for him to be speaker. Uh, if you had had a straight up and down... Uh, uh, vote based on political beliefs in the early 80s, uh, Tip O'Neill would not have been Speaker of the House. So he depended on the party system to keep him in power. So, of course, uh, you don't want people uh, in, uh, you know, in, in, in Louisiana and in Georgia, South Carolina, uh, voting uh, based on the national issues. You want them based on uh, voting based on whether they like the incumbent congressman who maybe was a state senator before being a, a, a congressman. And, uh, you know, they got to know and he's their buddy and he comes down to the diner and they hang out with him and and he shows up at the VFW hall. And, and you know, it's just it's all personal. And that's what you want uh, if you are trying to pull the basically pull the wool over people's eyes in terms of the policies that you put out there. You want people to ba vote based on just totally local things. Uh, you know who's who's the cousin, who's your cousin, uh, who's uh, who comes to your your uh, meeting of the JCs, uh, and all that sort of thing. You don't want it based on national issues. So of course, Tip O'Neill promoted the theory that all politics is local because it was to his advantage. So we we spoke about this a little bit earlier, but the funding of this race was interesting, not just in terms of number, but in terms of sources. Uh, the majority of individual donations to the Ossoff campaign came from out of state. 
The majority of individual donations to the Handle campaign come from came from within Georgia. Uh, what do you make of that? You know, the the, the left is desperate uh, for some sign of. Uh, uh, you know that that they can turn this Trump thing around, and uh, they, uh, you know, they're very fired up. If you get something out, you know, if Rachel Maddow promotes your 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 congressional race, uh, if it's you know all over MSNBC, if it's in the other uh, left wing media, they will they will sit down and write out a check. I mean, they they thought this was the opportunity to really punch Donald Trump in the nose, and uh, and so they were they stepped up. I mean, I, I got to give it to them. They put their money where their mouth is. Uh, and, uh, and, and, you know, and unfortunately, sometimes uh, people on the conservative or libertarian side uh, don't necessarily do that but uh, as much. But people enough did in this case. And interestingly, John Ossoff got about the same percentage of the vote in the, the special election as he got in the, the, this week as he did in the, in the first vote uh, that led to the runoff uh, two, uh, two months ago. Around forty-eight percent, forty-eight point one percent. So, he he maintained, but he didn't he didn't grow. Yeah, sometimes you have a sneak up on them factor, and I can speak from personal experience. I think I'm the only person here who's actually run for anything. Uh, I ran for office uh, a few years ago, and uh, you say that like it's a good thing. Yeah, well, I ran for student council once. I lost. Oh well, there you go. <laughs> well, I won. I won. Well, my whole my whole campaign was uh, well. I did. I won. I I got elected to uh, office in college, so I guess I can say that. But but I ran for statewide office uh, a few years ago, and my whole campaign, the the premise of it, the strategy was that we would sneak up on the incumbent, uh, and uh, we sneaked and we sneaked and we sneaked, and nobody paid any attention to our race. And I think of the statewide races, ours was the only one that the newspapers didn't do any polling in because supposedly I didn't have a chance. And this was all working, and uh, he wasn't really fighting hard to keep the seat because he thought it was uh, in his pocket. And then three weeks before the election, the teachers' union, which had the most reliable poll that was done in the state at the time, uh, they came out with a poll that showed me with a one-point lead. And people called me up and congratulated me. And, oh, this is great. Now you're going to win. You've got a one-point lead. And I, I, I tried to, you know, I tried to be nice. I didn't want to be, a, you know, th- throw cold water on it. But the, the fact was I knew we were doomed at that point because no, no longer would I be able to sneak up on them. And that's what happened with Ossoff. In the first primary, uh, he was able to uh, get 49% almost get 50%. Uh, and, uh, and then the sort of the same thing happened in the South Carolina race, uh, just this week, uh, because again, it was not a high priority race and nobody thought that it was going to be close. And so it ended up being close because of the sneaking up on them factor. So that's always an important thing in politics. This has been a changing district. Um, and this is not the first election to show that. Uh, so it used to be Tom Price's district, as we said, and in, in his first run, he won the district by 20%. Uh, Handel now only won it by 3.8%. In 2012, uh, Mitt Romney won the district by 23%. Trump only won it by uh, 1.5%. What does that say about the current and changing state of the Republican Party and national competitiveness? Mitt Romney had an advantage uh, in some quarters because of his... uh, image as this uh, very uh, straight guy, uh, you know, the, the, the obviously a, an official in the Mormon church, uh, big family, uh, and, you know, a husband of one wife. Uh, and uh, that's, that's a different persona 
uh, from Donald Trump's. You know, Donald Trump, three wives, uh, Donald Trump, reputation as a womanizer, uh, all sorts of things like that. So you're going to get a different, you're going to get, you're going to be stronger in some areas and weaker in some areas. Obviously, Utah was weak enough for Trump that you had the uh, McMuffin uh, insurgency, I'm sorry, McMullen uh, insurgency. And uh, there was talk at a time, for a time that uh, they might be able to uh, split the votes so the Democrats ended up winning Utah of all places. So, so you're going to have in a district like that, uh, somebody like Romney, who's, uh, you know, n- never said a vulgar word in his life, as far as anybody knows, uh, is going to be, uh, is going to have a different appeal and, and, and not pull, uh, Romney is going to pull a much better uh, in a district like that, other things being equal, uh, than a Donald Trump. Donald Trump, on the other hand, can pull in blue-collar areas where people want somebody that they'd sit down and have a beer with, somebody who will fight for them, somebody if they, you know, if they if they got into a uh, some sort of a, you know conflict would stand be the person who stands up for them and never backs down. And that in that kind of district, a Donald Trump is going to do much better. Uh, so you know that's and, and you're going to have demographic shifts. Uh, in, in any congressional district, as I say, this one was was drawn back in the 90s in order to knock out Newt Gingrich uh, as the congressman, which almost worked. Uh, so the uh, you know it's it, it's it's more Democrat than say the district to the to the west of it there. Um, but um, uh, you know I, I as I say the, the the shift in these four special elections was about what you would normally get when you're running in a special election after. Uh, the um, after uh, you know the, the the general election is over, uh, and so there's nothing to indicate there the Democrats would necessarily pick up uh, the House, which is the big issue. You know, what does this indicate as far as upcoming House elections? Uh, on the other hand, uh, I think uh, what is it? Uh, some of the prognosticators have said, well, based on this, the Democrats might pick up 12 seats. Uh, they might pick up 50, but most likely they'll get around 12. And of course, uh, that's not enough. They need a bigger shift if they're going to win the House uh, in the next uh, general elections. All right. Do we have any final words on this subject? It was a surprisingly interesting special election. And uh, uh, the, the left tried to, tried to score big, tried to uh, flip a seat uh, uh, to the Democrats, from the Republicans to the Democrats, and they failed in that race, and they failed in three other races so far this year, President Trump and Brett Baer are incorrectly saying Democrats are zero for five this year. No, Democrats are zero for four. They kept, they kept the the, the seat in California. Right. They, uh, they were they were saying in competitive races. They're hoping and counting it, the, the Trump right. election. They're hoping this is going to be some yeah. bellwether, some you know, uh, foreshadowing of the of the twenty eight off year elections uh, for Congress and. Uh, so far, it doesn't seem to be a foreshadowing of anything. It's just uh, uh, things are, are continuing, and uh, lefties hate Trump, and, you know, haters going to hate. Well, I would say this. Uh, if the Democrats had won, this would have been a tremendous uh, 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 advantage to them in terms of recruiting, in terms of raising money. Uh, recruiting is important because if you can get high-quality candidates, you're much, much more likely to win, uh, and if people see— someone like Ossoff winning, then they'll get fired up. They'll, they'll, they more people will, will sign up to run as candidates. So yeah, it does, it does hurt the Democrats, which is one reason they, they scream so much. And, uh, and now they're screaming for blood. They're scapegoating Nancy Pelosi, who was just doing what she's always been doing throughout these, uh, special elections, uh, this year. But suddenly, 
they want a lot of them want to get rid of her uh, on Capitol Hill in the Democratic uh, caucus uh, in the House. And uh, that's a topic for another show. But I, I think that uh, uh, resistance to Pelosi and her own party, at least in uh, in Congress, is mounting. And uh, it's going to be very interesting to see how that plays out over time. Well, Pelosi is famously left-wing, famous enough that you can actually get Republicans inspired to go to the polls by mentioning her name. And that happened in this election. Uh, with, with If Pelosi had not been the Democratic leader and the person who would become Speaker if the Democrats got control of the House— then eh, it's possible this would have turned out differently because uh, that was a big factor. And as one of the Democratic congressmen pointed out, uh, yes, Trump has his negatives, and there are a lot of people who don't like Trump, but Nancy Pelosi is more toxic than Donald Trump. And, uh, and if you know how toxic Trump is in some places, that's really saying something. All right, that's our show for this week. We'll be back next week, and we hope you'll join us if you're not already. Please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and Stitcher and follow us on social media at Capital Research Center on Facebook and YouTube and at Capital Research on Twitter. I'm Dr. Stephen J. Allen, Vice President and Chief Investigative Officer of the Capital Research Center. And I'm Matthew Batum, but I'll skip my title. And I'm Jake Klein. Thanks for listening.